comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about The Wandering Swordsman, a 1970 Chang Che film starring David Chang and Lily Lili. Uh, it also has appearances by Wu Ma and a number of other people. Uh, this is a, a film that's got some uh, interesting likeness martial arts in it. And it's about a character named The Wandering Swordsman who travels around seeking adventure and meets a group of bandits who are planning to rob a convoy escor- escorting some valuables. Initially, he is tricked by them into participating in a robbery, but then realizes his folly and he returns to take his revenge on them. Uh, that's the basic synopsis right out of the Wikipedia page, and that doesn't quite capture, I think, the feel of the film really well, but it gives you an overview of the plot. So, Jeremy, why don't you give your thoughts on it, because this is one that you brought up in conversation and we decided to do, and you mentioned it, and I think you asked me if I had seen it, and it sounded familiar, and then I went, I went through my... I have, like, a collection of films, and I... I found a film that it was one of those movies that like I saw like once or twice and put in the drawer and I pulled it out and showed you the cover and you were like, yeah, that's the movie. So that might give you an idea of where this film resides in terms of not quality, but just in terms of where it fits into the grand scheme of things for people. Uh, But what was your feeling about this movie? Well, I ran into it as I was going through all of the stuff I could find on prime that was free basically and trying to also pick through whatever movies we recommended in the book or mentioned in the book that maybe I hadn't watched because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things in the in the book that uh, you suggested or mentioned yeah. or whatever. And that This I, wasn't I, in the I, list, though, right? This was not in I don't our... think it was. No, this was not. But yeah. this was just kind of as I was going through mm-hmm. that process, I, I stumbled across it. And I was like, oh, wow, I haven't seen this one, so I watched it. And I was watching it just for fun, kind of, so I didn't take notes and I wasn't really preparing to do a podcast on it uh then like i think last week or so when we decided to go ahead and do a podcast on it i went back to unfortunately i didn't have the time to sit down and watch it so i kind of skimmed through all the scenes to refresh my memory Mm. but unfortunately i wasn't paying super close attention to the language aspects um, and i actually forgot a lot of the like you were asking me just before we started about the specific geography of where it was taking place things like that those kind of things didn't make a huge impression on me um wanted to say that up front so my impression of the film in general was that you know i'm actually didn't really like it very much i know it's kind of if for anybody who follows the podcast a lot i think like almost all the time i'm like this is great i love yeah. this film pretty much and this one just kind of i didn't really like it that much and i kind of tried to identify the reason why and i honestly don't really know um specifically the exact reason because again i was kind of watching it for fun and got two kids in the house so i kind of i watched it got to the end and i was like eh, and then kind of went on my way and then later as we were talking about it, i was thinking about it going back and i think there's a couple different reasons why i i wouldn't put this on my list of favorite films now let me qualify that it's actually very cool i know there's going to be people who like it i think there are, are many aspects that are perfect for righteous blood ruthless blades because it's a pretty it's a pretty dark plot. I would call it kind of like a tragedy sort of um, ending. Um, and in terms of the action and the genre tropes and 
the acting and all that stuff. It's great. I just didn't, it just didn't click for me. I think one reason is actually because of David Chang, the lead actor, or I think he has a couple different names he goes by. He's like the smiley guy, I think is how I think of him. He has this like really distinct and flashy smile. Um, and, and in this movie, it was an actual character trait too. So it was on top yeah, of it, his, it was because normally in films, he'll flash that smile, but also he, he, I've seen him play like, he's played a lot of James Dean type characters too, that are much more brooding, but this character isn't really that this character is much more about the smile and kind of whimsical and almost a prankster type character. Right. And I think that's, I think probably one of the reasons why it didn't click for me personally was because they really went heavy on that in the opening parts of the movie where he was like flashing the smile, kind of, yeah. you know, being mischievous and at the same time sort of kind of heroic good guy. But then it, the movie turns very like kind of dramatic and dark and then ends sort of tragically. And yeah. for me personally, the character just didn't really make sense because to me personally, um, he starts out as kind of like we just mentioned this sort of trickster but like you know almost robin hood kind of yeah. kind of like helping the people and like fooling the bad guys and then he essentially like now we'll get into spoilers here he essentially kind of sacrifices himself but yeah. i didn't really feel any buildup that made that believable to me like he meets this girl that that kind of is involved with it and whatever but it just went from like playful to really dark and I, it's not like i'm opposed to darkness and like sad endings and all that yeah. stuff but it just was kind of incongruous to me and so because of that i got to the end and and i'm actually a sucker for the hero sacrifices himself yeah. and dies in the end like i really do like well, that's those that's why stories. we made righteous blood that was our like common denominator right was yeah that, so yeah um, and for me in this one it just i got to the end and i kind of was like eh um, well, so that was those are my thoughts about it I so here's my feeling. I agree with a lot of what you said. I I do enjoy the movie, but I enjoy it. Like I said, I, it was in my drawer. You know what I mean? I saw it like once. If, if I I might have done a review on it way back when. If I did, I probably saw it like two or three times. But if not, it's probably one of those movies I saw once or twice and then just filed away. And I I view it as the kind of movie where if it came on TV, I'm sure I'd be happy to watch it. It's a decent wuxia film. It's a Chang Che movie, so I always like watching Chang Che. When I first saw it, I do remember being startled by the use of wire work in it because I was watching a lot of Shaw Brothers movies from that era, and most of them were using trampolines, and this one I saw like a horizontal usage of wire work, and that was interesting. And also the opening sequence where you just see him jumping around and it's in slow motion, I really like that. That has a very beautiful elegant sort of languid quality to it do you know what i mean i feel like that scene in crouching tiger hidden dragon that that might have been one of the scenes he was thinking of when he was doing the scene in the in the treetops um but uh i agree with you that there's something missing from this one like like i i kind of think of this movie as almost a spiritual sequel to golden swallow it does a lot of the same stuff it's got a very similar plot the hero even dies in a similar way in the end he doesn't get quite as skewered as 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 silver rock does but he gets skewered in a, in a you know and it's it's similar but like the pathos isn't there somehow do you know what i mean and and i think i think what they were going for is something kind of like you had in um a chinese odyssey or like any number of stephen chow movies where the character starts out really like whimsical and fun and doesn't really have any serious qualities. And then over the course of the story, they develop into something much more serious. Do you know what I mean? And then, the, and then by the end, 
there's this this emotional catharsis that happens and in in this movie i feel like he was just too aloof the whole time and it never felt like he i i agree with you there were were like it had all the right things and just something didn't come together emotionally with that It, it it should have been a very very moving ending there were parts of it that I thought were moving. Like I, I, I like the touch of how he pretend. He said early on in the movie, he says to the woman when he meets her, um, you know, you look ugly when you cry. I'd rather be dead than see you cry. And he pretends to be dead. And then, and then at the end of the movie, he's actually dying. And he says, oh, you look terrible when you cry. You know, so, you know, I'd rather be dead. It's, it was very poetic. Like Cheng Che is very good with that kind of poetry in these kind of movies. But uh, but on his end, it was it just didn't have as much of a, w- a weight to. It. I felt like it, it was I I got more emotion from the the Lily Lily character who was saying, oh no, I you know like he he's just pretending he's not really dead. You know like all that stuff. That was that was kind of pulling at my heartstrings more than his actual death. Um, but I mean it it was you know is in terms of uh, whether people should watch this movie. I would not recommend this as a first wuxia film. If you're like, if you're going through our list of wuxia movies or anybody's list and trying to find out what the genre is about, this probably isn't a first, uh, good first go. I think uh, this is one that uh, would benefit from having more familiarity with the genre first, and then you can decide if you like it. You might not agree with me and Jeremy's take on it. Um, you know, I, I would say I have a slightly more positive take on it but i think we're still kind of in a similar ballpark where uh it's just not one of the stronger films for us um yeah i mean and don't get me wrong like i don't hate it for instance the way that i hate bride with white hair too (laughs) which i really don't like i just it just didn't click and i and it's i some i know i have to also admit that i do have i have to admit to my biases i think in that i am very ambivalent about um David Chang, I, that's that's okay. his common uh, screen t- like uh, credit, right? David that's, Chang. That's what I usually hear people call. Okay, him, so. I'm kind of like ambivalent about him. Like I, I just tend to not like his characters that much in the okay. things that I've seen, and um, I don't know. Like he, for instance, um, I'm thinking Boxer with Shantung. I got a similar. He also played a similar like smiley character in that mm-hmm. one that ended up. Dying. I actually liked him better in, in Boxer of Shenzhen. That's the one that jumps out to me a lot. But okay. that could also have something to do with it. That uh, he's just... I, I feel like he was miscast in this role or or the the script was not right for him or something. It just... It didn't click. But anyway, I also wanted I wanted to address too, since before we get past it, the wire work, because that also jumped out to me. And I wanted to respond to a couple of things you said. One being uh, that it really did surprise me when I saw some of the wireworks stuff because this did come out in 72 and it was, se- I, it was 70 actually this one. 70. 70 yep. While I, I definitely don't claim to be the biggest expert of Shaw brothers films in sixties, seventies and eighties. Um, well just, just say all Wuxia yeah. movies. Like I haven't seen everything maybe more than a lot of people, but I, there's a, there are plenty of people out there who are much more um, familiar than me, but it really kind of like caught me by surprise because most of the stuff from around this time period makes more use of trampolines or maybe the reverse jump shot or whatever. And so to see him actually flying around kind of caught me by surprise. And the first, there's a few, there's a few um, times when it happens. 
uh, including in the opening scene. I think it was in the opening scene where I was just like, whoa, what did I just see? And at the opening scene, I couldn't quite tell how they did it in my first kind of casual watch. Later, it became more clear because there's a few other scenes where it's obvious that he basically is um, suspended and then kind of just swings on the with the rope attached to his yeah. back or something. But the way that they did the angles, and some of them you can't quite tell that he's swinging, and so it really comes across as kind of like a lightness arts, how I envision lightness arts kind of flying or, or, or floating or whatever you want to say. Um, and so this one is definitely one that I think is a cool representation in the old Shaw Brothers style of that. Um, I got into a conversation with um, a guy on Twitter, Kyle Fisk, who's a, a writer, and uh, he's a big fan of Shaw Brothers films. I, I'm not sure if he listens to the podcast, but I just wanted to mention his name because me and him talked a little bit about this on Twitter. And, and he said that he prefers the trampolines and, and the reverse jump shot kind of thing that happen a lot. I guess there's some people out there who like that stuff. I personally don't like that. I'm curious what your take is. about. I, I like the tramp. So, I mean, I'm, I like wire foo stuff too i like like the wires especially the when it really gets developed and you have like you know bride with white hair one of the reasons that movie is so beautiful is the wire work but um i like the the classic shaw brothers from the the, the mid 60s and the early 70s and i also even like this movie if you so this movie has a much less stylized martial arts than some of the later Shaw Brothers stuff, some of the more mid-70s stuff, and some of the later martial arts stuff that people might be familiar with. It's it's more swashbuckly. Do you know what I mean? Like the sword fights, it looks it almost looks a little bit like an Errol Flynn movie a little bit when they're fighting with the swords. There's maybe a little more focus on footwork and spinning here and there and things like that. But when you when you do see an occasional uh, I don't know how to put it, like a really stylized technique or move or shot, it really stands out. Do you know I mean so? They do have them in this movie. Like, there's the scene where the guy has the bending sword and it bends over and, and goes into the guy's forehead, and it's like, wow, that just happened. Do you know what I mean? But it's not like it is in like an, a '90s wuxia movie where that's happening every five seconds, right? It's like you see something like that maybe every 20 minutes in a movie like this, um, which I kind of like because I, I like how everything is grounded, and then you have this wow, this this really magnificent move that happens, and also I like. I like the groundedness of the trampoline work because it, uh, I don't know. It just, the, the, the Shaw brothers stuff that started from the mid sixties was supposed to be gritty and grounded and sort of a more realistic wuxia. And so I appreciate that aesthetic. I think, I think that it works for what they were trying to do. Um, you know, and again, I like, I like more, uh, over the top, uses of lightness kung fu as well i just i just do fight like one of my favorite movies is a touch of zen and that's that's i think that's all trampoline work in the bamboo forest scene and that's a classic classic scene and you know there's just any number of early shaw brothers films like that or 60s and 70s shaw brothers films you can you know you can picture the trampoline work and you kind of know what's happening but it's still I don't know. It's it's like uh, it's like I like practical effects. Do you know what I mean? Even though they're not as good as CG, and I have the same kind of reaction when I see a trampoline. I think. Do you know what I mean? And and just so listeners understand, you don't actually see the trampoline in these scenes. You can just tell that a trampoline is being used. Um, but yeah, I I um I mean I like the older Shaw Brothers movies more and more as I get older, and tend to prefer them nowadays. 
um, but not for the trampoline. Not for the, <laughs> just, you're just I not. Just, to, yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely like, that's one of the effects. There's two effects I think in early Shaw Brothers that really kind of like uh, are glaring in terms of the special effects haven't quite been developed as much as they later will be. And one is trampolines. The other one is when they, whenever they use like internal energy, like, like whenever like somebody does like a chi blast, like, like the scene in come drink with me when he does the chi blast, you know, they, and it looks like, it looks like there's some kind of air tank going through You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely noticeable. I mean, right. again, I kind of like I that stuff, also, but you know, I would also add blood onto that because the blood is generally like, obviously not, I mean, but that's their brand. That's like that's. I, I feel like with Shaw Brothers, the blood is like the, like because people will talk about Shaw Brothers blood, right? As like yeah, because yeah. it doesn't look like blood. It looks like a a certain coat, like a color of paint or something. Yeah, right? like it's got a. Um, but Cheng Che uses that in his movies to literally paint the scene. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I think real blood would look less spec. Yeah. It would look less. Uh, vibrant i think on this yeah yeah i get it yeah um i mean yeah yeah but it doesn't uh, look real tramp- it, it definitely doesn't look real i will agree with you that the blood is uh yeah uh, but i mean I, I don't think that's specific like you'll go back to a lot of you know movies in the 70s 80s i think whether you're in uh, american cinema or elsewhere it's all going to be the same and i think in terms of yeah. the realistic blood or at least variations on that about the going back to the trampolines i just to explain why I don't like it. I mean, it's not like I blanket don't like them. I There are some scenes where trampolines are used that actually I think come across pretty well. Mm-hmm. But then other times where it's like, it's like I'm just looking at it and it's like doink, 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 yeah. doink. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm watching Mario or something and not like, uh, you know, more expert martial artists. Um, I think that that's probably one of the reasons is that in my mind, how I envision these things happening in quote-unquote real life it's just too incongruous and i'm i actually am not necessarily a big fan of of wire work in general i Mm. i don't necessarily dislike it or like it 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 can be good it can be bad but in my mind when i when i kind of close my eyes and and read these books or think about how they would work and i think okay what would it be like if somebody could literally use the energy in their body to make themselves lighter and also propel themselves with greater speed. Like how would that actually look if I was looking out the window and all of a yeah. sudden this guy kind of ran across the, the the parking lot and then jumped up onto the roof and then jumped onto the opposing roof? Like what would it actually look like? And I know, I know maybe it's a mistake to try to impose my vision of how a fantastic ability would work onto a movie, but... In the end, I just cannot divorce myself from the rea- the reality that there's a trampoline underneath that yeah. patch of grass. <laughs> it's okay. just like it comes across as just too cheesy to me. But that's just my personal, you know. Yeah, and I and I do like the aesthetic of wire work. I find I find watch and wire work doesn't look like I would imagine that might actually look, but it's got its own aesthetic. And I to me, it reminds me when I first saw it the thing I immediately thought of was watching fish in a fish tank. I used to have fish tanks as a kid. I was really into them and I found them like very relaxing and liberating to watch. And I have the same emotional response to, to wire work in movies. Um, I think I find it liberating is the thing. I feel like I'm not, I'm just as the actor's not tethered to gravity. I am not tethered by gravity. So, um, but I will say this too, and it's a little bit off topic. I think one of the best 
and really unobserved uses of 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 wire work like not a, i don't hear a lot of people comment on it i'm sure people do but i just don't hear it that much is the venom mob because they were all you know so good at acrobatics and stuff that they basically they could do it without trampolines and wires if they really wanted to do you know what i mean so i mean they did use plenty of other effects but like uh you know just thinking of movies with them where you just see them literally leap into the air and do somersaults you know to me that was also kind of an interesting take on on lightness martial arts um but uh all right so uh anything else to cover on the lightness kung fu or sure i'm gonna say one more thing that i'm sure you're gonna blast me for well, and probably people in the audience are gonna fine. turn off we, the podcast i just want to say we could all have different opinions on these things it's yeah, fine yeah. you know it's sure um i actually so if i was gonna pick what i would have as my ideal representation i wouldn't use um film i would i would lean on animated works um, okay. And probably Japanese animation. Like I, I, I didn't put a lot of thought into this beforehand to pick the perfect example. So just use the example that jumps to mind. And again, you know, don't laugh at me. And audience members, please don't quit the podcast for hearing this. <laughs> but the way that like the ninjas run in Naruto, except for the hands going behind the back, but like not that part. But just the way that they're like speeding through the treetops and kind of jumping and uh -huh. and that kind of stuff. To me, that is how I sort of envision lightness arts. And again, Naruto isn't the only example, but I think that's probably the most, like, you know, what everybody has seen, at least something of. And there's many, many other examples in Japanese animation. Um, and Chinese animation is, is becoming more and more, is catching up, let's say, but not as mainstream. There was I think a, that's, wasn't there a Return of Condor Heroes animated uh, movie? Yeah, that was many years ago, yeah. and I... I I vaguely remember the animation being horrible. It's been years since I saw it. Uh, okay. The Chinese animation industry has really picked up recently. Like, for instance, the uh, Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation was really popular. And there's mm -hmm. other Sanxia and Wuxia uh, animated stuff from China. But again, I think Naruto is probably what most people have at least okay. seen in popular media. And I think that when I envision it, I think they can do stuff in animation that's just really hard to pull off in whether you're using CGI, whether you're using wireworks or practical effects. It's really hard to do that. And in my mind, that's kind of what I envision when I envision the characters using lightness arts are kind of like okay. you know, they're able to leap um, higher, faster, uh, greater distances. And they're moving with, you know, you almost can't see their legs moving, but it looks cool at the same time, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean... I they would certainly have um, no limitations, right, on an animation. So, I mean, I think that's that's a fair, that's that you know that's fair. Actually, one of my favorite lightness martial arts scenes is from the 2006 Return of Condor Heroes when um, Lee Mocho and uh, Zhao Longnu are fighting on the umbrellas, on, and it's a wirework uh, scene. That's one of my favorites. Um, but uh, but yeah, this I, I again, the very first thing that I noted about this film back when I first saw it, because I do remember that reaction was, wow, the lightness martial arts. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And, and, um, and, and, oh, I did want to mention something about uh, David Cheng. I think that um, you might want to try, if you haven't seen many of them, you might want to try watching any of the Iron Triangle movies that were directed by Cheng Che and star him and T. Lung. Those are generally the highly regarded films that he's in. Um, you know, I know that uh, there's a good one called The Duel. Um, uh, I think you might like the character from that one. There's, there's, there's a few movies where he plays more rebellious characters, and I think it's more interesting when he's playing a darker character than this character's kind of a, a light, 
slightly comedic character and and the the tone i i feel like uh you never something about his the 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 smile definitely uh distances you from the character emotionally yeah. so um well speaking of which i mean i hate to spring this question on you i know maybe it's i, mean, I should have thought to ask you ahead of time but you know can, can you think of any good examples of a basically a a, a, a trickster happy go lucky kind of character that he starts out with that 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 then turns into a tragic sacrifice character that actually works like in film like just in general what's a good example of that where it was pulled off where you have a oh, person that a gets introduced question. as as I know they exist, I, I I can sort of like in the back of my mind. I mean, I well, let me ask you this: Does the character actually have to die for it to be? To, to well, work? I think that's part of. I think that's part of it, or or if not, have a very tragic end because like that's why, like I think maybe one of the reasons why I couldn't buy into this movie was I didn't feel like like why would he do that? Like he had no okay. motivation to really sacrifice himself. I mean, it was like just kind of so random. I mean, like. I, I don't I, I I'd have to think about that I think I think yeah. I, I mean I feel like I have seen movies that pull that off the the only one that I can think of is the one I already mentioned a Chinese Odyssey which is not a wuxia movie um, and that's stars Stephen Chow and he basically plays monkey I don't know if have you seen that one or no the, no uh, so and, or I and, may have I may have we we might want to do that one at some point I I really like that movie um, it's it's a two parter so you have to watch two. It's basically Journey to the West, but it's like a, like a, really, postmodern version of Journey to the West, and whether it ends in tragedy or not is kind of a point of view thing. But I think it has a very, I think it's a very tragic ending in terms of romance, and it's a very, it's got a lot of heart, like a lot of movies that you know, like I, he didn't direct it, but I associate Stephen Chow with movies that have like a surprising use of heart in them, even though they're comedic. And in that film, the character is kind of goofy all the way through up until the very end. And he, th th there is like a sacrifice, but it's a, it's not like in the style of Cheng Che. Um, but I, I don't know. There, there, there must be, there must, there must be though, like a, a Shaw brothers film somewhere that's, that's pulled this off, I would think. But th to me, this most, again, Golden Swallow is the film that I think of with this movie. Cause it's, it's really got a very similar type of ending. Um, and and actually, yeah, I do. I'm quite certain that I've seen the type of movie you're talking about because I know I've made that comment in the past on Wusha Weekend. So I'll I'll ask Dion. She's got a better memory than me. Okay. Um, and anybody out there that's listening, if you if something's ringing a bell for you, then you know you can reach out to us on social media or my website or anything like that. Send a message and and uh, let us know what is what is the movie that we're not thinking yeah. of that fits the bill because i've made i know i've made this comment that when like goofy or comedic characters die it's a lot more tragic do you know what i mean but for some reason it wasn't as tragic in this movie do you know what i mean so yeah yeah um but anyway so uh there were other tropes too uh you know like uh do you want to talk about any of those before we move on yeah to... why not i think we, we we're still good on time right yeah we got we're only 30 minutes in so okay um so like uh you know the bodyguard association thing, which comes yeah. up constantly on the podcast. Yeah. 
um, you know, so there's something called escort companies or escort. That obviously that particular translation has more potential for double entendre, <laughs> um, but bodyguard association works here. Um, and and like you were saying, I think before the podcast you talked about how this movie was built around misunderstandings and how yeah. You know, and again, I think that might be for me where this movie maybe doesn't quite work. The misunderstanding seems kind of like it's it's it seems like it's supposed to be like a loss of innocence type thing, but it doesn't seem like it ever really registers with him fully. I guess that's maybe yeah. the problem. Um, uh, I don't know. Any other tropes that uh, struck out uh, stuck out at you or? Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about face. I mean, that's kind of inherent in virtually any Chinese movie, wuxia movie. But, you know, that stuff comes into it with the the opposing love interest, I guess. Or is it, what, is it an opposing love interest? Or, or the girls like um, martial arts brother. I can't remember if, it, if they developed that in a romantic angle or not. Not real. Um, I don't think so. I think the only... Just... The only guy that had potential for romance, I think, got killed in the very beginning of the movie. I think... Uh... Uh, what was his name? Um, Choi, brother Choi. Oh, okay. I think I think I I got the impression he might have been, uh, you know, a potential love interest, but I could be wrong because uh, again, this is one of those movies where they say brother a lot, and you're not you. I'm assuming yeah. he was her martial brother, not a real brother. Right. Um, yeah. But so, but anyway, I do. Yeah. The uh, I actually the bodyguard or escort company, however you want to 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 word it. The way it's portrayed in this movie, I think, is pretty good because a lot of times the impression that people get when that comes up in the movies is that it's like a group of a handful of people that are basically um, like, what's the word? Uh, I'm thinking of the Dungeons and Dragons term, uh, caravan escorts, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more complicated, I think, in Wuxia. And this is a good example where it's not just you know, a group of people, and then they take things from point A to point B. They, they might have different branches, different groups that are on, on one mission or another mission, and they might have somebody in, uh, in charge of them that is overseeing yeah. multiple different jobs or something like that. And so I think that it's, although the, the, uh, the escort job or the bodyguard job, as we listed in Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, as a potential for an adventure or, or a campaign or something, although it could be as simple as, take something from point A to point B and then deal with whatever happens along the way. That's kind of like what the Obsidian Bat is. It could actually be a lot more complicated than that. In fact, the Obsidian Bat adventure, uh, we specifically designed it to be more a uh, very simple and easy to run, especially for beginner GMs or people unfamiliar with Wusha. But if you think about it, it's actually uh, it, sort of simple in a contrived way in that the majority of the escort company has already been slaughtered. <laughs> Normally speaking, there would be a lot more people in this escort company, the, yeah. the Handan escort company, and they would presumably be running a lot of different jobs at different yeah. times. And so, again, the escort company... So uh, the Wei Xiang Security Bureau, I think is what they called them in the, the subtitles, right? Yeah, I'd have to double check. I have the, um, it, have the Chinese up here. I, I'm curious what... Again, I wasn't watching it with with uh, an eye for the language. I'm, I'd have to double check. I took some notes, so I have like notes on people's names and stuff. If that, if we need any of that, um, but uh, uh, yeah, and I think the I think the chief's name was Jung, and the other chief's name was Huang. 
Yes, I'm seeing that here. And I have the the um, Chinese wicca up to to look at it. Anyway, my point is just that the you know you could take this trope and make it a lot more complicated than point A to point B. And this, I, I feel like this movie is a, a good example in that regard yeah. because they're kind of like off on their one mission, but their boss is not even there. Or it, yeah. was it a sub-boss? I can't remember. There was a sub-boss. big floppy hat. There was a <laughs> sub-boss and then there was... A, well, they said chief in both instances, but my impression is one was the sub-chief, one was the chief. Right. Um, so they have a, you have one group over here kind of doing something, but then they run into trouble and then they, somebody has to come in from the main headquarters or whatever it is. So yeah, I think there's a lot of potential uh, in Righteous Blood with His Blades if you're running a campaign to have your characters be a member of a group like this. It's, there's really a lot of potential. Have you ever, um, in whether it's Ogre Gate or Righteous Blood with His Blades or whatever, have you had a really good successful like player characters are uh, bodyguard escorts my, like campaign? I, I know my characters tend to lean towards the evil. Do you know what I mean? I tend right. to I tend to get <laughs> I tend to get more Venom Mob style parties do you know what I mean? like not not that the venom mob were evil characters but like just more um uh i i don't think i've had i i i am planning on doing a constable campaign in the near future um but uh i don't i don't think i've had too many uh where the where the whole campaign was they were doing escort jobs i have had ones where they rob an escort company multiple times <laughs> that's come up a lot um you know, so you might have to ask another GM who's got more, uh, yeah. you know, you know, whose players are, are, are more wholesome. But but mine, well, mine it, usually it, like to rob things, I find. Uh, <laughs> In my experience also playing with, with your groups is I feel like uh, you have a lot more experienced players who are used to kind of taking control. Mm -hmm. And I've played with a lot of, like, in the games I run... I tend to be running them for more beginner players. It's just how it's always worked. I've always been the one that wants to play, and then around me are people who aren't familiar. And so usually when that happens, I find at least they're more waiting to see what, what happens and then react to it as opposed mm -hmm. to taking the reins. And I think probably bodyguard escort company is less appropriate for people who want to take the reins because you're kind of forced to be on a you go on missions like, all the time. Yeah, yeah, and so I think I think your groups tend to be the ones that want to like let's take over this town. Yeah, kind of yeah. I, I I run like what I like to call boxer from Shangtung campaigns a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I tend to run it very sandboxy. So that's, uh, but but I mean still escort companies still factor in because players will hire them or they'll like I said they'll rob them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're still they're they're a fixture of the of the setting. And, and when we did the um, Obsidian Bad Adventure, obviously I ran that a bunch of times. Um, but, uh, and, and, and again, I think, um, I think once in a while, you know, there'd be like an ad hoc escort company type adventure, even if they weren't officially an escort company. Um, you know, but uh, though I, I, think, I think what would be more likely to happen is at some point I would have expected, like the people from Bonebreaker sect campaign, I could easily see them deciding to become an escort company. Do you know what I mean? That that's something that I could envision in one of my kind of like from uh, Heroes Shed No Tears, essentially. Like yeah, they rise from the rise from the bottom to the top, and then after you get to the top, legitimize yourself. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I would imagine happening. Although you bring up a good point about the robbing them, um, because uh, that's something probably GMs should keep in mind: is that uh, the if 
the players end up in that kind of situation where they take out a, the bodyguard escorts or, or rob them or something, generally speaking, they're going to have to deal with with some kind of ramifications. It's not as though the that they can just walk off into the sunset yeah. and then nobody cares about what just happened. Yeah, well, dealing with... So I, I think we have some simple suggestions in there on how to deal with when the, when the players break the law. Um, I have to look through the GM section to find it. And I don't have it on hand right now, but... Um, but one thing that I've done in um, in, in Ogregate when I handle that stuff, it, and, and I'm, I'm, I have this in a big Word document, and eventually I'm going to release a book with it, is wanted posters are a big convention in the, uh, in the genre. And so uh, whenever the players commit a crime, I have a table I roll on to see how accurate the wanted posters are going to be. And that determines, will, the, will they have the accurate name? Will the likeness be accurate? Blah, blah, blah. And, and I found that's a pretty fair way... To, you know, and then obviously the players can do things to conceal the crime and there could be a chance of the authorities not even realizing a crime has been committed. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, modern, you know, CSI type police <laughs> investigating. Um, but it is also it is also, uh, you know, a functional society. Right. So it, it, it's not like it's 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 not like Wild West either, unless it's like a um, uh, a campaign that's set on a frontier or something. Um, so, so, and that's come up a lot and that's worked great. I think, uh, and, and also I found players really like seeing that they're on a wanted poster that really excites them. If they, if they've robbed a, if they've robbed a, uh, uh, a caravan or robbed a security company, uh, they kind of like knowing what people are saying about them. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I don't know if that answers the question. Um, yeah, well, it also, it also made me think of something, which is that, I think for people who are familiar with the movies, uh, there's something to, that you might want to think about. Uh, for people who are not familiar with the movies, I would say just watch the movies and emulate what you see in the movies is probably the best way to get started. But for those of us who are familiar with a lot of the movies, it's something to consider is that there there is a world that exists outside of the movies. What I mean is that the movies are supposed to be a story set within a larger setting. Now, what do you always, you can disagree with me if you're wrong, Brendan, but what do you always see in the escort company thing? Almost always there's going to be something where there's like four guards who are basically like mooks and they like can get one shot at in a second. And I think that my theory behind why that is, is that in the, in the world of Wuxia, not the novels and books, what I, I mean the novels and the books, but what I mean is that the idea that somebody is going to actually attack the thing that the bodyguards are like carrying is actually not generally common. Like it's not as though every single time the bodyguards company sends people out on a mission, they get attacked. It's actually more likely that they're not going to get attacked. And the guards that are that are there are gonna they they tend to assume that because they have swords and they have their bodyguard company, uniform and they like look cool and they kind of know martial arts they just assume that people are not going to bother them but of course in the movies and in the books it always happens but i think the presumption is actually it really shouldn't happen it's just we happen to have a window into the story where it does happen where it does happen so you could consider that in the games well, and i think this movie is a good example where the people that are on the ground so to speak aren't necessarily the best fighters, the, the top fighters and leaders are kind of off. And then all yeah. of a sudden when something happens, they come in to kind of help. Well, the mooks are definitely a thing. And I do think that there are, de there are people who obviously die from like just getting 
bumped up against by a more badass character, right? <laughs> and that's and that's something that can work to your advantage in a game because you know uh, where you know if if you need a mook, just give them one wound, and that's that's your mook. Um, uh, I think that uh, you know the the question that you mentioned, you you had said something about uh, whether we're just getting a window into an exceptional instance of something, or whether that's happening all over the place. When I watch a lot of these movies, one thing that I really feel is one of the themes is how cheap life is in a lot, of, you know, in this kind of a setting, right? Where you have a Zhang Hu and you have people just, it's kind of like, uh, like, you know, it's it, the, the closest thing I can think of in, in the States would be like uh, the mafia or like street gang violence. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just, you know, death can kind of come to you any given day and, uh, like a perfect example is when when Brother Choi gets killed, right? Like obviously the woman is moved by it, but the David Chang character barely cares. You know he doesn't he doesn't intervene before. You know that guy gets killed because he's just sitting in a tree watching. Do you know what I mean? And and he's the main character. He should presumably care that that somebody's about to die. Uh, so I feel like uh, I feel like there's an awful lot of bloodshed going off gone off screen on these movies. Uh, I think it does depend on the movie, though. I think Cheng Che is just much more blood-soaked, so there's that. But I, I don't know if that sure. addresses your Yeah, your I mean, question. I think it's open to interpretation. I think you're right, probably. it. De- I guess it depends. I think I tend to think of, I tend to sometimes try to step back and ask, uh, like, um, why did this happen or why didn't it happen? Yeah. And so, in my mind, if there's something so important that it needs to be guarded, why does the escort company send guys who can get killed one-shotted to guard it if it's that important and in my mind the answer is there's a presumption that not every caravan is going to get attacked basically you know and i'm not a historian or anything but one thing i i I, the one uh, time period i'm more familiar with than others is song and in the song dynasty i know and i think this is common throughout but i know at least in the song for sure banditry was a real pro like that was something that, that the empire was constantly concerned about and that was one of the primary functions of um of uh of of inspe- of uh sheriffs and military inspectors was to uh to prevent banditry basically and and i think that a lot of people that resorted to banditry it wasn't like a full-time career i think what you would tend to have is like farmers in the off season when things weren't going right they might resort to banditry they might join up with a group of bandits and become a threat and then so you'd have these these groups of bandits that would emerge and then dissipate i think um uh, but I, I am sh- also not a historian. I think you you well, I mean you have a degree in history, right? I have a degree, much- but that doesn't make me a historian. You, right, be a historian, yeah, you need like a PhD, and you need to yeah, you know, yeah. be doing history. You know, point so. is you're more you're more of a of a historically inclined person than me, and I don't claim to be an expert on Chinese history. But my impression is that my understanding is that you know Chinese. It's you can't just say in ancient china blah 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 it's it's just you can't do that because there were so many things changing back and forth and specifically my understanding in terms of martial arts is there was a lot of back and forth in terms of were were commoners allowed to practice martial arts were they not could they have weapons could they not through different dynasties and time periods and all these different things my impression has always been or my impression has been that the song dynasty like if i have this dream by the way I want to write a novel, a, a what I call a historical Wuxia novel, and by that I mean very realistic, no flying around and stuff, 
uh, but at the same time feels like a Wuxia novel. And I want to set it in the Song Dynasty because based on what I've read in different books and history books and stuff, that is the time period where basically it's like almost as close to the Wuxia Jianghu that we see in the movies and stuff as existed in real life. And that just like you were saying, yeah, there were bandits and there were companies and people who could be hired, private martial artists who would escort uh, people along the roads, defend them from bandits. And there was, you know, by the Song Dynasty, uh, martial arts were, you know, like there were, you know, names. People people had nicknames based on their martial arts. Like historically, you can find examples of this. And that's why I, I've actually already planned out an entire novel or at least a novelette, I'm not sure how long it would be, that takes place in the Song Dynasty because of that specific reason. And okay. so yeah, I agree with you about that. And I think that uh, there is a historical precedent, not necessarily in every, um, you know, in every period throughout the the long history of ancient China. Um, but yeah. But but what I what I will say is I do think that when you have a Zhang Hu, one of the themes that emerges is the the effects that violence has on people. And I think that's something that you see in this movie is that, you know, just, you know, again, people just kind of dying left and right. And it's not, you know, the, the main character seems a little bit unfazed by it, but I feel like the viewer is supposed to be impacted by it. Um, Cause we see a lot of characters whose faces you recognize because they've come up in scenes before getting killed. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but yeah. Oh, I found the uh, adjudicating crime section i wanted to have the actual text so that we could go over it um so i'm just going to read it out loud and this is how this is sort of the the way that we suggested handling crimes being committed in the game uh here is a handy way to rule when players commit crimes and then attempt to conceal them have the players make a crime roll using a skill that seems relevant to the situation survival theft magical arts etc then determine the quality of the local law enforcement institution, such as a sheriff, constable, or patrolling inspector, on a scale of 0 to 7, which would represent the number of D10s that you roll against the, the, uh, uh, the, the TN. Make the roll. If the law enforcement roll succeeds, they eventually find evidence tying the players to the crime. If they fail, they do not. So that's that's the solution we came up with to that problem that you had mentioned um which which is one that i've 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 used plenty and that definitely works um that's you know i i i am uh i i i have a number of tools that i use depending on the game and uh i use variations on that throughout all of my my wuxia campaigns and it seems to work um yeah i think we've talked about this before and, and my take as i think i explained before is is that um, I like to, like, I, I, I've done a video, I did a video on why Wuxia is better than Xianxia on my YouTube channel. It's, it's actually a, a kind of a tongue in cheek because I have another one called why is Xianxia better than Wuxia? So I don't actually think one is better than the other, but in any case, the, in the video I did about why Wuxia is better, one of the reasons I cite is that I feel like it, it's more realistic and more grounded and it's more, it's something that you could envision actually happening in real life. So like when you watch, when I watch many Wuxia movies, it's kind of like watch, for me, it's kind of like watching Robin Hood movies hmm. where you know it's not real, but it's kind of like you kind of can imagine it happening or something similar to that happening. And so because of that, I like to have, I, I ideally like to have a Wuxia role-playing adventure be a little bit more on the realistic side than on the fantastic side. Not talking about the special abilities and stuff. What I'm talking about is 
what you were just mentioning, the crime. Mm-hmm. So it, we have all seen scenes in Wushu movies where, you know, there's like some sort of like uh, street, uh, middle of the street sh- showdown and sword fight and then somebody dies. But in real life, ancient China, like you couldn't just go around killing people and then just walk off into the sunset. I mean, if you <laughs> if you kill somebody, it, generally speaking, like in the middle of a city, you're going to somebody's going to try to come after you and hunt you down. Same as in similar to the Wild West. It's like, you know, in, in the real life Wild West, there obviously were, um, you know, gunfights and violence and people getting killed and stuff. But that didn't mean that you could just literally walk around killing people and then nobody would do anything about it. And so I think that's why we, we came up with that system to begin with was because I had players that were going around doing stuff. And I kind of was thinking, you know, they're, they're, what if somebody finds these bodies on the road? There's there's constables, there's sheriffs, there's soldiers. Well, like, wouldn't somebody try to find out who killed these poor iron well, badger, ironhead badgers? I think what ends up happening though is um, characters that are really powerful they can just easily handle the constables that get thrown at them. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, but but I think yeah. that does get to one of the core ideas in the book is everybody kind of makes their own Zhang Hu, right? Like that's sort of the, you know, like yeah. make your Zhang Hu. And that's one of the things when I, when I, when I really started falling in love with Wuxia movies is when I started to notice every director has their own Zhang Hu. And then when I went to the books, it was like, Oh, every writer has their own variation on the Zhang Hu. It's, it's like, and, and you can tell it's a product of them enjoying the genre, reading it, but having some gripe about how things are handled. Kind of like how you're describing right now. Like, hey, yeah. why aren't the police getting involved? You know what I mean? And and you can see Cheng Che is a lot like that. He had, he had, he had gripes about uh, certain aspects of realism and things like that. And then he addressed them in his movies. And I think that, uh, you know, that would be... So, so if somebody felt like you do, the perfect thing for them to do is to build a Zhang Hu where, hey, there's, you know... C- they're actually constables that can take out the martial heroes. This world accounts for that. And so there are consequences for the violence in this, in this martial world. Maybe, maybe even the government has more of a monopoly on martial heroes than, you know, than not, you know, so like you can, you, you, you know, and I, I think, I think that's what gives, uh, the, you know, your Zhang who it's, it's like own unique flavor. So, um, so I don't know that that just kind of made me think of that 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 uh, um, you know I I think what's yeah. what spurs an interesting Zhang Hu is encountering something that you dislike about other Zhang Hu's you've seen or some problem and then remedying it in your own yeah you know and uh, now that we're so late into the podcast it's time for a behind the scenes uh, uh, Easter egg which is so believe it or not when we very first started out with the concept of this game I don't know if you even remember this Brendan. But we originally envisioned the game actually being about creating the Jianghu. And like yeah. we, we were like, we're going to have a map and we're going to tell them how to do that. Then in the course of creating an example version, it turned into a very sprawling, you know, yeah. deep and complex Jianghu, which I, I think we're both really happy with. And then in the end, the make your own Jianghu aspect was not as Prominent. big of a thing. Yeah. We, it's still in there and we talk about it. But it was, you know, we originally envisioned that being much more of a thing yeah. as opposed to ours. Um, but in the end, we did make ours. Uh, but like you said, everybody has their different view and vision. I, and so, and I think most people, I think a lot of people in the in the tabletop role-playing scene are kind of already on board with that. You know, there are definitely the crowd of let's buy every fifth edition module and run it. 
But I think there's plenty of other people out there who want to make their own versions, their own worlds, their own homebrew stuff. And we're advocates of that well, for sure. Well, and what I liked about it, because the original concept, I don't know, I don't remember how he finally phrased it in the book, but the original concept that I was picturing from those early discussions was we'd have like a black and white map of China and then you would write in red on top of that map your Zhang Hu. And your Zhang Hu, in like this movie, your Zhang Hu would be things like... Um, let me just find my notes on it here. Uh, on the the Yishang brothel would have been one of the entries on your Zhang here. You'd have marked that in red on the map. The um, uh, the flying robbers of Jidong they would have had some entry on the map. The the Weishung Security Bureau would have had an entry on the map. The uh, the Huangtung Town Inn would have had an entry on the map. Um, there was a there was another. Uh, in I think that they mentioned early on uh, the Yulai Inn, which they described in the movie as the biggest inn in town, cheap, biggest restaurant with good food. And he tried to, uh, it was the restaurant where he tried not to, he tried to not pay for his meal and he ran into trouble. Um, one of the things I was just noticing about this movie as we were watching it was how, how well it fit the idea of building a Zhang Hu because there were all these little elements getting referenced as the movie was going on. Um, so, the, you know, those are the details I think to look for, for, for building. And I think, uh, at some point I'd kind of like to expand on that section that we did in the book, because I do feel like I want to give people more guidelines on what it is we were trying to convey because we were tight on space too. So we did We couldn't just have it be a you know, massive entry. It had to be limited. Um, but yeah, so something else I think is worth talking about here is, uh, uh, we are running out of time, but the character, the, the, the villain in this movie, his name is, um, and I want to get it right. Uh, it's Kung Wu, the failsafe, right? That's his name. And, and basically he's just really prudent. He takes all necessary steps to protect himself. He, he doesn't fly off the handle. You know, he, his whole his whole way of dealing with the wandering swordsman is to say, "Hey, look, we're not bad guys. We're good guys, and it's the security bureau that are bad guys, and we're just going to give all the money to the poor, which we know you love to do." So you know, you know, and it was a little bit sort of like mustache twirling evilness, but uh, but but I I think that uh, every once in a while you need to throw your characters a um, a a villain who's actually really on the ball and 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 thinks things through and comes up with contingency plans and so you know like a uh you know uh i i think that you know this the villain in this movie is a good example of that that was something i was thinking of while i was watching it i was also thinking of uh how this movie one of the, one of the little threads in it was that there was a guy who was getting revenge against the security company because last year something had happened with his group like i think his group had been killed by the security company and so I, I liked that idea and I was like, that would be a pretty cool thing to throw it. If you had a party that was part of a security company to throw at them on a regular mission that they're getting hounded by this, you know, maybe like a Rambo type character that's just getting revenge against them. Do you know what I mean? I thought that would be a, a neat little adventure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know if you had any other adventure ideas that you got from, from watching. No, that. I don't think so, but I, I do agree. I mean, virtually every Wusha movie is going to have little, uh, uh, cool characters here and there that you can draw from, and this one definitely, definitely did. I did like the whole bad guy group. I thought that they were actually part of the 
movie that I kind of liked the most in some ways. Um, and uh, I thought I thought you could you could actually pull that whole group out as a an enemy, you know, to face your heroes in a in a campaign. Yeah, I like the gambling house that they had. The gambling house scene I thought was pretty cool. And I like the I think Wu Ma played the guy dressed in red that um you know, I think he had a whip. I can't quite remember, but they For, were, I forget. Yeah, that that was a fun scene. Um but I guess what I'm saying is uh when I watch a movie like this, when I try to gamify it, unless it really lends itself well to like, oh, this can just become an adventure. Instead of doing that, what I tend to do is I tend to say, oh, that was cool. I could see an adventure being made out of that element. And then I just focus on that. I don't try to make the whole movie an adventure usually. Um, and usually it's what can I drop into my campaign that'll work. Um, so, yeah, so we've gone on for about an hour now. So, I don't know, is there anything else that we want to you, you add about this movie or any? Not really, other, other than um, as we always do forgetting to mention this at the beginning you know uh the game righteous blood with his blades is available just about everywhere drive through rpg amazon your local game store you know if you if you go to your game store and they don't have it on the shelf you can you know ask them to order it for you um and also my website which is jeremybuy.com has a list of all of the movies that we recommend and more uh, and also has links to all sorts of stuff so check out my website jeremy buy.com all right and with that we'll head out and we will be back on later with the laughter comes the rain with my anger comes a tide of emotion killing joy cutting steel across your eyes Yeah.